reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Continuing with verse 19. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And then they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be God. to God. You may be seated. All right, y'all keep that bulletin handy. I'm going to keep mine in my hand, so I don't have to look for it in a minute. I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story have you ever wondered why pastors wear things like this? Why some pastors do, but other pastors don't. You know, they, they wear a business suit or, or they show up in, in jeans and a flannel shirt. Skinny jeans are a hip way to be a pastor these days. That means your preaching is going to be relevant and practical. And a lot of people are going to show up, right? I'm not going to wear skinny jeans even if more people show up. It's not, it's, it's not going to happen, but... You know, this, this thing means something, this, this thing that I wear. Um, in the Old Testament, God commanded the priests to wear a, a special garment to cover themselves up, right? Uh-oh, poor Collins. So the priests were, were told to wear something and to put an ephod on and to put these gems on it and all this kind of stuff. And, and so the, the, it's a symbol that they're not, they're not the one that's important. But it's the God who they represented who was important. Do you hear that, church? So, you know, a lot of people might think, well, that pastor likes to wear that robe because it makes him look important. But it does exactly the opposite. I like to wear this alb. This, this kind is called an alb. I like to wear this because it covers me up. 
Because sometimes, honestly, it's not just so that you can't see that my belt doesn't match my shoes today either. It covers me up. When I put this on before I walk over here, I'm reminded that now is not about me. Does that make sense to you? I mean, I feel that. This thing that I wear is called a stole. It's symbolic of a yoke. Remember when Jesus said, come to me and take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest? Remember that? A yoke was a way of putting an animal into service. When I put this on, what I am admitting in front of God and everybody else is that I am a slave of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm admitting by putting this on. It's not just a sign of my office as an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. It means so much more than that. In fact, it doesn't mean that at all. It's come to mean that because some people have taken ordination as being a way of setting themselves above other people instead of remembering that ordination is in fact making a slave to Christ and a servant of people. Y'all with me so far? This is important. Why is it important? Well, Because the life of the redeemed of Christ can't be about us, can it? If Paul is right, and the things that we read earlier this year where he talked about us being dead and trespasses and sin, if he's right, then our life is, is a saved life. It's a life given to us. As a matter of fact, this thing that I wear represents that I have, I have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Your own baptism, my baptism means that for us. The, we keep the font visible to us to remind us that we've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ and not our own. That the life we live, as Paul says, we live in Christ Jesus. Which means that my life is not my own. The logic is inescapable, isn't it? Before Christ caught me, after I quit running and being a dummy, I was just dead in my sin. But in Christ, I've been given new life. And listen, telling people that you've been given life, what, what could, telling people that Jesus can give us new life in this world, what could be more practical than that? What in the world could ever be more relevant to this world than hearing that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? What does all this have to do with this? Being a witness. When I wear this awl, the awl itself makes a witness that what I'm doing now is not about me, but about Jesus. When I wear this, it is a witness before you that I am a slave of Jesus Christ and nothing more. And I don't want to be any more than that. I don't want to be anybody's favorite preacher or end up on the TV or get interviewed by the local news. I just want to serve Jesus. What about you? Are there evidences in your life that speak about what Christ has done for you? 
what kind of people ought we be? Now, when some people came to hear John, they asked him, what should we do? What should we do? And he gave them things that they could do that would bear witness to the kingdom of God. But I think that maybe a more important question in this day for us is who ought we be? Who ought we to be? I don't think I'm saying that in good English. What kind of people should we be? Now, Jesus gave an answer in Acts 1.8. Before he ascended into heaven, he told the disciples, you will be my witnesses. Anybody remember reading that in your Bible? You will be my witnesses. It's a little strange to me that today, as I, as I kind of wander around modern Christianity and look at its websites and listen to its concerns and read the things that I see read, I hear very little about the idea that we are all intended to be dead to the world and alive in Christ. That we are intended to be burning witnesses in the world of what Jesus can do to someone. Seems that way to me. Well, this past week, we had three services of death and resurrection. If you turn with me to page 700 in your hymnal. Look, that was the wrong page number. I was trusting my memory. 870, excuse me. You're almost there. Keep going. 870. These services are traditionally in the culture and in the church called a funeral service, right? That has a special meaning. I just don't remember what it is. But I love this title, Service of Death and Resurrection, because that's a reality of what's happening when we get together. We're coming to acknowledge that someone has died, and we're coming to acknowledge that that person died with the hope of resurrection. Make sense? I want to read what we say as we come in. I mean, if you were at all three of those services, it probably sounded like I was being repetitive, and you were thinking, man, this preacher needs to come up with some new opening words. <laughs> but this is our liturgy. And the words that I come in from the back of the church with are these. Dying Christ destroyed our death. Rising Christ restored our life. Can I ask you, is that good news? There's the gospel, right? In a nutshell, Christ died, Christ has been raised to life. Christ restores our life. Christ will come again in glory as in baptism. And this week we celebrated this for Lamar, for Ann, for Rusty. As in baptism. Name put on Christ, so in Christ may they be clothed in glory. We are remembering what it is that we bear witness to, that everyone who is in Christ has been clothed with the righteousness of Christ and is no longer slave to sin and death, but slave to Jesus. That's what we are remembering when we come into this building when a person dies. And we say, here and now, dear friends, we are God's children. What we shall be has not yet been revealed, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Which tells us what? That whatever work we have experienced of Jesus in our life now is not complete. 
There's more to come that when Christ comes, we will be like Christ. Which means that is the ultimate goal of our life, isn't it? Isn't it what that means? If the telos, if the end of things for us is that we will be like Christ, then that must mean that in this life, somehow we are being transformed to be more and more and more and more like Jesus. And is there a person in this room who doesn't want to be like Jesus? Oh God, if I could be like Jesus, I would care more about what happens to other people when I'm tired. You know what I mean? When you've hit your end and you just don't want to hear anything else bad, I've been known to come into the house and Samantha said, hey, honey, and I just said, no, not right now. Hey, hey honey is her code word for you're not going to like this. <laughs> we'll be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. As what? King of kings, Lord of lords, the Prince of glory, the Prince of peace, the Son of God, the Son of man. All of these wonderful things that Christ is will be known to us and we will see them in ourselves because we are clothed with His righteousness and we are becoming the righteousness of God. All of this is the language of Scripture. I ain't making it up. And then it says, those who have this hope purify themselves as Christ is pure. Which is answering the question, what sort of people... Should we be this pastor who proclaims to be a slave of Christ, who cherishes that he can cover himself in the righteousness of Christ and stand before people and tell them about the goodness of Jesus? What sort of person should he be? And then we remember the word of grace. With all of that hovering in our thoughts, we hear... That Jesus said, I am the resurrection of life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died and behold, I live forevermore. And I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you shall live also. Who holds the key of hell? Jesus, because I live, you will what? Live also. Those are not just words for later, dear ones. They're words for now. They were words for Sunday at 2 o'clock. They were words for Monday at 11. They were words for Tuesday at 2 p.m., they are words for every single day of our lives that because Jesus lives, we will live also, which means that we will not be defeated by the sin and death around us that would seek to drag us under and destroy us and extinguish the light of Christ in us and cause us to be ashamed of him and assume that the world is right, that we're just supernatural, superstitious little people, but we're not. This Christ that has changed you has changed you. The experiences that you have had of him are real they are not things that you imagine the difference that is in you is a real difference and i would be willing to bet that every last one of you could write at least two ways that you know that you were different than you were before the healer came your way before jesus walked into your life before jesus came for you you were different none of you can tell me that's not true you have a witness 
you know that you are being prepared and changed so that when he appears, you will be like him. Is the preacher wrong? Listen to this last part. Friends, we have gathered here to, what, what does that say? Oh, that's our purpose everywhere in all times. But especially when we've lost someone and we need to hear the good news of the resurrection because only God raises the dead. We have gathered here to praise God and to witness to our faith as we celebrate the life of whatever loved one we have gathered for. Listen to these words. Witness to our faith. When we gather, when a person like Lamar passes, all of us were deeply affected by him. All of us. By his faith. But it's not our only purpose. We're also there to remember our faith. To bear witness to the hope of resurrection. Not just that we will see him again, but that he's raised now in Christ, that he's present with Christ, and at the end, even his body will be raised. That's in your book. Oh, it gets ignored today in Christian preaching, especially funeral preaching. But that's the gospel, the good news, the hope we have is the glorious resurrection even of the body. This thing that some people say doesn't matter and just a cast off shell, something that God gives us for temporary, but that's not what our book says. Our book says that the body will be raised. And we come to bear witness that God can even raise the dead. We come to sit in a room together and remember the promise of Christ I am the resurrection. Did you notice in your story of Lazarus that when Jesus said come out, it wasn't Jesus's, or Lazarus' ghost or soul that came out of the hole? Remember that? It was a body, wasn't it? Didn't Jesus say unbind him, take the grave clothes off of him and set him free? We're not out there celebrating some sort of spirit body, but a God who can raise the dead. That is our witness our witness, a witness that was given even as Jesus was lifted up on the cross and raised from the dead. And He has the victory. And He holds the keys of hell and death. What in the world sort of people ought we be if we are people who have that story in our possession? Well, that's where the bulletin cover comes in. Take a look at that thing. Do you see John giving Jesus the finger? Do you see how big that finger is? Does that not look like the biggest finger you've ever seen in your life? Where's that finger pointing? Somebody help me out. Who's the finger pointing to? John came to testify to the light. The Greek says that he came into witness, to be a witness, 
to witness. He came as a witness to witness. That was his purpose. And dear ones, if you are wondering what the purpose of your life in Jesus is, there it is. You can cut that out and put it on your refrigerator. Lindsay won't mind if you deface this work of art she did as a bulletin. You can cut that out. Take scissors to it. Ask me, preacher, are you asking us to cut this out? Put it on your refrigerator. Now you get it. Why not? Put it in your workplace. Put it in your car. I'll give you every copy you want. You can wallpaper your bathroom with it. What does it remind us of? That the purpose of our life in Christ is to point to Christ. If we ask ourselves, what kind of people ought we to be? The answer is a people who point to Jesus. Just like John the Baptist is doing. Just like my silly self does when I put this dress on. All of it is meant to point to Jesus for other people so that other people might follow the gaze of that bony finger and see the crucified Lord of creation hanging on a cross for them and fall in love with Him too. If you're a person who feels listless and like you're dangling on the edge of eternity and you don't know the purpose of your life, man, aren't you glad you're here today? I've cleared it up for you. The purpose of your life is to point to Jesus. He didn't save you to make you awesome. He didn't save you to give you heaven. He saved you to give you a mission, to point to Him. You will be my witnesses, He said. Don't settle for sitting around waiting, doing nothing. Don't settle for being the same old person you've always been. Don't settle for having your nightmares be images of your past failures. Don't settle for being a strangled person. Be fully alive. Be a witness to the goodness of Jesus. That's our purpose. It's why we gathered to funeralize three people that we loved. It's why you're here today. It's why you get sent forth from here to serve Him. To point to Him. I wonder if you'll notice something else about the painting. If you would study that, that figure of Christ that Matthias Grunewald painted. I wonder if you would notice Jesus' fingers. Where are Jesus' fingers pointing? Right? What we would understand him to be pointing to the Father. Pointing to God. And this one simple symbol is given to us exactly what this text is telling us. John came to preach repentance for the good news for the glory that you could be joined to Christ. The religious people got upset with him. How dare you tell Jewish people to be baptized? Being baptized is how Gentile trash becomes Jewish. How dare you do that? John turned it on his ear and said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something new is coming. God is doing what God has always said God would do. God is responding in answer to the psalmist's call. Renew us, O God. Restore us. Return us to that time when our throats were filled with laughter. Laughter. Bring us to that time when our laughter in the midst of death and destruction would turn people towards you. Remind people of who you are by reestablishing joy in 
and your people. And you will have no joy until you are holy and happy. And you can't be happy if you're not holy. And you certainly can't be holy and unhappy. But holiness means being set apart for Christ. And we become set apart for Christ when we realize that Christ has grabbed us and held us for himself so that we can be witnesses. And you don't have to worry, he said, about what you will say. I will give you words to speak. Or even better, a way of life. A way of life that will point to me. A way of life as a people who are unafraid of the darkness of death. But come together and sing God's praises even in the midst of it. If you're following along in the lectionary reading, and you read those ahead of time, if you don't know, in your bulletin, there's a place where the readings for the next week are there. You can kind of play a little bit of a bingo game, try to figure out which text I'm going to focus on. But one of the readings was from 1 Thessalonians 5. I wonder if you would close your eyes and focus on my voice and listen to this. Paul is describing what sort of people we ought to be. Listen to these words. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecy. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do this. What sort of people ought we be? People who make that kind of witness in this world. People who point to Jesus out of habit. Out of everything we do having it be done for Christ. And the good news, as Paul tells us, is God will accomplish this through us. This is not what are we to do, be witnesses. It is what kind of people are we being formed to be. Who is it that God is forming us to be? And the answer is to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. Go home, cut your bulletin out. If your refrigerator's too fancy to put it there, find some place where you'll see it all the time. Listen, I grew up in a house where every cruddy piece of art I ever did was on a refrigerator. Some people grow up with other kinds of refrigerators. I don't know. I hope you hear me, church. This world needs for you to be a witness to Christ. Your neighbor needs that. Your friends need it. Your enemies need it. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are challenged by your servant, John the Baptist. We're challenged at the thought that we somehow might be a witness like him.
Help us to be unafraid and unashamed. Help us to serve you in this exact same way. Help us to make our life about you. Do for us what your servant Paul said and make us entirely holy. Sanctify us entirely so that you might be glorified by our life before others. Help us, Jesus, to point to you. Amen.